first reading is from Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. And it's page 1184. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, we've seen over the last few weeks, has served us. By dying for us, he's made us friends with the boss. He's made us the bride of the king. He's made us sons of his father. And that changes everything about why we serve and about how we serve. But have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing now? There was an old TV show, I think before my time, called Where Are They Now? And it would uh, take a famous movie star or a celebrity and trace them through and see whether they were now pumping gas at a service station or where what they were doing now. Have you ever wondered that about Jesus? Where is he now and what is he doing? Has he stopped serving us, figured he's done enough for us? Has he retired or has he moved on to bigger and better things? I want you to see tonight that Jesus is definitely still serving us. He's serving us in heaven and he's serving us on earth. And we need to know that and we need to remember that. We need to be encouraged by that. Jesus is serving us in heaven by interceding for our sins. It was really clear in the Old Testament that you needed sacrifices for your sins. That sin was a problem between you and God. A holy God could not live with an unholy people. You needed to offer sacrifices for your sins, and not just you, but you needed a priest to intercede for you to offer the sacrifices on your behalf. Again, And again. And so Jesus, we learnt in Mark's gospel, gave his life as a ransom. As Hebrews puts it, he was the priest who offered a sacrifice once for all to take away our sins. When I was in Jerusalem with my son last year, we went to a place which has a bit of a mountain outside the old city and the mountain looks like, the shape of it looks like a bit of a skull. 
And so some people think this is the place of the skull, the place where Jesus was crucified. So we turned up there and we asked if there might be an English-speaking guide. And so sure enough, there was an English-speaking guide. And of course, he was from Sweden. And uh, his name, of course, was Sven. I don't know whether he worked for Ikea. I I don't know. But he was our guide, a volunteer guide. He had come from Sweden because he wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so he took us around and showed us the place of the skull, perhaps, and with great delight, with great joy, he said to us, I love it that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I've done my bit now, now it's your turn. I've done my best, but now it's over to you. No, Jesus said, it is finished. What a wonderful truth. Jesus has served us by dying for our sins. But even though Jesus said, it is finished, even though it's a once-for-all sacrifice, what if Jesus had died and stayed dead? You need a priest and a sacrifice, remember. Who is going to offer that sacrifice? Who is going to show and tell God about that sacrifice? Well, Sven wasn't finished there. For at the place of the skull, just a little way round, was a tomb, which may be the tomb of Jesus. And what was in that tomb? Nothing, of course an empty tomb, a space in a cave with a rock ready to roll across it. And there was a door across that tomb, which wasn't originally there, of course. It's a wooden door. And on that door, in English, surprisingly, were the words, He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. So where is he, you ask? He's alive. That's what's being proclaimed. And he is now in heaven, do you see? Jesus served us by dying for our sins and he said it is finished. But even better than that, he is now alive and now in heaven with God and serving as our priest. You see there on our outline tonight, I've put the key Bible verses for us because there's a few of them. Now there have been many of those priests, the Old Testament priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you see, Jesus is not like those priests who died and there was another priest. He died and is alive and lives forever and always lives to intercede for them. As we saw in our Bible reading tonight, it's there on the outline for you. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Interceding is to stand in between between you and someone else when you need someone to intercede. How does Jesus intercede? Well, in a sense, just by being there. There is Jesus at the right hand of God, looking like a lamb who was slain. 
with the wounds still in his hands and his feet. And so just by being there, the one who died as a ransom for us, he is interceding before the Father. Just his mere presence. But more than that, it's not just that he is there. 1 John 2 says, if we, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's someone in a courtroom for you, isn't it? And they don't just sit there smiling up at the judge, hoping the judge will notice them, do they? No, they speak. And so it is that Jesus speaks to his Father on our behalf. By being there and by speaking, Jesus continues to be our priest before his Father bringing before his Father his once-for-all sacrifice. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. John Newton, many of you will know, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a slave trader. His mother had taught him about God as a child, but he completely rejected it. And he found himself, he joined a slave trading ship where they went to Africa, stole human beings, carted them across the Atlantic, and those who survived the journey were then sold, sold to belong to masters who worked them to death. Eventually, John Newton came to his senses. God pursued him and he became a Christian and discovered amazing grace. But he never forgot. He never forgot what he had done to those men and women. He never forgot their cries, their misery, their heartache. But he never forgot something else as well. He said, although my memory's fading... I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. Not I was a great sinner, but I am a great sinner in need of a great saviour. And Christ is that great saviour who died and lives to intercede for me, he is saying. Well, I too am a great sinner. I continue to sin against those I love, against those I serve, against those I serve with. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour who died, and even better, ever lives to intercede before the Father. Do you know that for you? Do you know that confidence? Do you know that joy? And that's why we love to serve him. Um, our second Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 28. Um, so verse 16 to 20 to the end, and it's on page 1044 of our Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus did extraordinary things when he was on earth to serve his Father and to serve us. Just think about his miracles, uh, his teaching. Then he suffered and died. He rose and ascended. And then he left his disciples. He left us to continue his mission to serve him here on earth. You see it there in the verse there on the outline. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, I've shown you disciples what to do. I've taught you disciples what to do. I've even died for you. So now it's your turn. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just imagine for a moment what they must have felt like. I mean, Jesus, talk about a hard act to follow. Big shoes to fill. They've had three years with him, yes. He's taught them stuff. He's shown them stuff. He even sent them out on mission trips. But they always came back to Jesus because he was the leader. He was the son of God that they were following. They were just disciples. And now Jesus is leaving them leaving them not just to to hang around, not just to go and see the world, but to go and make disciples, disciples of Jesus, to baptise people and to teach them everything that he has commanded them. And not just in Israel, the places they're familiar with, but all nations. Just 11 ordinary men with this most extraordinary task without Jesus. I mean, would you have put your money on these guys to do what Jesus is asking them to do? Are things looking good at this moment? Well, the book of Acts tells the story, doesn't it? And to our great amazement, it is a great story. Extraordinary things are expected of them and they do extraordinary things. These ordinary men who've had a little preaching experience, who've seen Jesus crucified by his enemies, who are still his enemies and their enemies, show great boldness and courage and wisdom as they speak. Just think about Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Think about Stephen before the Sanhedrin. They end up stoning him for it. Just think about Paul as he travels around from city after city. And as they do this, God's people show such love and joy and generosity and peace with one another. There's Paul and Silas there in jail singing hymns of praise. For people who so little was really expected, of them, they do extraordinarily well, don't you think? And they have extraordinary success. 5,000 people on one day, Acts 2. Thousands more throughout Israel and the nations. How do they do this? Ordinary people speaking with boldness and courage and wisdom with extraordinary success. 
Where do they get such power from? I mean, do you think Jesus saw them in their fishing boat and saw those guys really have potential? If I invest three years in them and train them well and then release them and let them go, they'll really take off? I don't think so. How did this come about? Where do they get such power? Is it their power? Of course not. You see there in Luke 24, when he's about to leave, Jesus says, you are witnesses of the things that I've done. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Where does the power come from? Not from them, but from God. And Jesus here is talking about his spirit, isn't he? And Acts 2, that spirit, the spirit of God comes on them in power and that's when they speak. Stephen, we're told, is full of the spirit. That's why he speaks with wisdom and boldness and they show the fruit of the spirit with their love, joy and peace. Yes, they are powerful, but it is not their power. It's the power of the spirit. But what's Jesus got to do with that? Jesus goes back to heaven, doesn't he? And then sends somebody else, the Spirit. But it's his Spirit, isn't it? Jesus says in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And you see that exact meaning here in Matthew 28. Do you see it there? Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a terrifically comforting verse, isn't it? Do you go through hard times? Are you struggling with something at the moment? Are you facing sickness? Do people persecute you for being a Christian? Do you feel alone as a Christian? Jesus promises you, I am with you always. That's how we take this verse, isn't it? That's true, but it's not what Jesus is saying here, I don't think. He's not talking about suffering or sickness or persecution or loneliness. What's he talking about? He's talking about his mission. The mission that he's giving to his disciples that we tend to think he is leaving for them to do. But is he leaving it to them? Going up to heaven and handing it over? No, he says. Surely I am with you always. With you in what? With you for what? Clearly it's for making disciples of all Nations, As Jesus sends his disciples, he is not handing over, he is not leaving them. He is with them always. He will be serving them in this mission. He will be serving with them in this mission, ensuring that it takes place. But it's even stronger than that. In the book of Acts, in the very first verse, the writer of the book, Luke, says this, In my former book... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Do you see that? In Luke's gospel, says Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus did on earth, all he began to do 
and teach until he was taken up to heaven. What does that imply to you? As he writes his second book. In my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So what is the second book going to be about? All that Jesus continued to do and to teach on earth. Do you see? We call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the risen Jesus. It's what Jesus continued to do and to teach. And that's exactly what we'd expect. Don't you remember what he said to Peter? Did he say to Peter, when I'm gone, you will build my church? No. He said to Peter, I will build my church. Has Jesus stopped serving here on earth? No. He's serving us by being with us in this mission. And more than that, he is doing it all. All these things we had a few weeks ago for our birthday celebrations that we thanked God for about our church because Jesus was building his church. Jesus is serving us and serving his mission here on earth now. Do you believe that? Do you sometimes feel weak when you serve or even the prospect of serving? Do you sometimes feel alone as if you're doing it on your own and getting no results? Do you sometimes feel that uh, if there are opportunities here at church, I'm not clever enough, I'm not gifted enough, I'm not strong enough? Do you sometimes feel that the relationships with people that you are trying to deal with are just too difficult and on your own you can't do them? Are you too frightened to start serving or to try something different? Are you really alone? Or think about making disciples, about connecting and sharing Jesus. You think it's all too hard. I can't connect with the people that are around me. I don't know how to persuade them that Jesus is really worth considering. And nothing's happening even when I try. Why doesn't Jesus do something, you think? Why is he just sitting back there in heaven as if his job is all done? Maybe you even feel resentful towards Jesus. But Jesus has not stopped. Jesus is still serving. He's serving us in heaven by interceding for us and he's serving here on earth by his spirit, making the mission happen do you believe that are you encouraged by that maybe you believe that but you can't really feel it or see it happening if jesus was really giving us power for mission there'd be more happening there'd be more success i would feel more powerful i would be more gifted you say I'd have more wisdom in my speaking about Jesus. I'd have more boldness and courage and love and joy and peace to serve Jesus. If only Jesus hadn't stopped serving like he was doing back then. Don't we think like that? Like we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, or even if we call it the Acts of the Risen Jesus. If only he was on the job like he was back then. Isn't that how we think? We want more power. That's a good thing, I reckon. 
more power in my life, more power in your life, more power in our church. Well, I want you to see that Jesus says in this verse, in verse 20, that that power was for us as well as the apostles. Do you see it? Verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who is the you in that sentence? It could just be the 11, couldn't it, way back then? Surely I am with you always. But look at the second half of the verse to the very end of the age. They're all dead, those 11. They didn't last to the end of the age. The promise is clearly not just for them. And it's not the end of the age yet either. So who is the promise for? It's for you. It's for me. It's for our church. Jesus is saying here in this verse, back then and today, surely I am with you always in the mission of making disciples. My spirit is coming, my spirit has come to give you power. Power to be wise in what you say, to be bold in what you say, to be courageous in what you say, and to have love and joy and peace in your serving. And if we think we don't have enough of that power, here is a promise that Jesus is going to give it. And I reckon we ought to ask him for more. It's verse 20. So I'm asking for 20 people from our church for the rest of the year, every day, to pray that we'd have more of God's spirit, that he would fill us, that we might have power power to make disciples, to grow disciples, because that's what Jesus has left us to do. Will you commit to praying that God would make that change in your life and in my life and in our church? 20 people. I'm happy to have more as well. Tell me after the service tonight, send me an email or a message if you're prepared to commit to praying for that every day to the end of this year. Let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus served us when he was here on earth. And Father, we thank you that he has not stopped, that he is serving us right now at your right hand interceding for us in heaven. And Father, we thank you too that he has not left us with this mission trying to do our best, but that he is still serving us and serving this mission by his spirit with great power as he builds his church. And Father, we ask that we might continue to ask as we ask tonight that you would fill us more with your spirit, that we might have power power to live and to speak for Jesus as individuals and as a church. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.